0: Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream, or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. What a beautiful day it is outside. And guess what? Today is Easter Sunday. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's celebrate that. Amen. I know it sounds like, why are we clapping? Here's why we're clapping. Because represented in this room are hundreds of people, represented in the powerhouse arena right now in Cedar Rapids and in Wilton are hundreds and hundreds of people who've had an experience with Jesus Christ, he's revolutionized their lives, he's turned them upside down, and now today we're gathering together as a celebration that Jesus is alive, amen? Jesus is alive. And when I say that, I don't know, there's something about me. Amen, amen. When I say that Jesus is alive, there's something that just reverberates inside of me, like, God, it is true. This is why we do this. This is why we spend so much time and energy doing this is because you are alive. And there is hope for a relationship with our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. And so we're so excited for what God is doing. I want to welcome our, again, our Cedar Rapids campus who's meeting in the Powerhouse Arena. And our Wilton campus as well. They're meeting in Wilton, of course. And we're so glad you guys are joining us as well. Amen. Well, uh, you know, there's a, a term. This is Easter Sunday. We're going to talk a little bit about some other things right now. There's a term out there that you might be familiar with. It's uh, information overload. How many of you have heard the term, have used the term, information overload, right? We, we understand that it's this idea that, there's, that we've never been more inundated with information than we are today. Like we're constantly being bombarded with information actively happening. And then passively, we are just engaging it as well. You know, so it's happening all the time, all around. Here's some statistics about some of the information overload that we're experiencing. The average American is exposed to 54,000 words and 443 minutes of video every single day through social media and the Internet. That's a lot of video. That's a lot of words. 20 million emails will be sent by the time I finish this sentence. The average person gets 220 messages, texts, or updates every single day. 300 hours of video will be uploaded to YouTube every minute. And here's the one that really... Really got at me. If you take all the information that has ever been gathered from the beginning of time all the way to the year 2003, so you take all that information, you know, all the books that have been written, all the information that's been gathered during that entire period of time, beginning of time all the way to 2003, we're producing that much information every two days now. That's how much information is actually circling around us. We have access to information like never before, but here's the kicker. Information has access to us as well. The average smartphone user gets 63 and a half notifications every single day. Information overload. And If you don't believe me on that, probably by the end of this morning, your phone will let you know that that's true. <clears throat> now, information overload, we use that, we've talked about we've experienced it, all of us have experienced it to some degree or another. It's now a diagnosable syndrome. It's called IFS, information fatigue syndrome. And I think we identify with the fatigue part mostly, right? We feel overwhelmed by it. We feel fatigued by it. And one of the ways you know that this is true, that information, that there re- this really is a syndrome, is that I said there is this thing called IFS, information fatigue syndrome. And there's some of you out there like, nah, I don't know if I believe that. Let me Google it. And you're looking for more information to prove that what I said was not true. IFS has led to some pretty common side effects. Um, One of them is that the more external input we receive, the less internal reflection we actually do. At the more, we're just constantly being bombarded with more and more and more information that we just don't really have enough time to really reflect on the information that we're, that we're receiving. Um, l- let me ask you a question. This is a personal question, so don't answer. Don't raise your hand, okay? But uh, do you like who you are? Okay, you don't have to answer. Don't answer. First service, there was a lady who was answering really loudly. Don't answer. <laughs> she was very happy with herself. Um, do you like who you are? I mean, this is an important question, right? Like, who are you becoming? The person that you have become? The experiences in life that you've experienced in life, have they led to the place that you are content with who you are as a person? That's a very important question to be, to be thinking about, to be processing but then what happens is that we begin to process this information and suddenly there's another, another update on our phone or some other device that we're using and then it says, like, how about those refs at that game last week? And suddenly we stop thinking about who I am and we start thinking about the refs and we're mad about the refs. You know, well, not everybody. You know, people in Louisiana aren't so mad about the refs. But you guys are mad about the refs, right? The more external input we receive, the less less we tend to reflect internally. A second thing that's led to is it's become increasingly difficult to prioritize what's important. Like our minds have a hard time saying, this information is more important than that information. I think it's common sense. And in an exercise like this, if I sat here with you and you started thinking about it, you're like, oh yeah, I can easily discern what's important, what's not so important. But then in real time, as it's coming at us, And there are levels of importance of information that's coming at us. Sometimes it's very difficult to decide this is actually more important than this. So you get a notification that there's a war in Ukraine. And I mean, this is terrible. This is whatever. And you're just starting to ponder when suddenly you get another message that says, Kim Kardashian and Kanye West are divorcing. And that might you might be like, oh, well, let me go back to the war in Ukraine. But by the time you think about going back to the war in Ukraine, you've got another piece of information that you're trying to balance out. Say, Which is important here? What's more important than the other? And we become overwhelmed with the information that we have. And it's led to stress. It's led to apathy. It's led to depression. Things that just characterize the culture that we're living in. So what I want to do today is I want to talk about the most important piece of information. And I'm not saying this is the most, like Rich Green is not the one saying this is the most important piece of information. Okay? The Apostle Paul is actually saying this is the most important piece of information. I'm not saying that. But Paul's writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He's writing to the Corinthians, and he's he's, you know, these are first generation believers, these Corinthians. They're not experienced with Easter. Like they've not celebrated Easter before. Like, you know, I've been celebrating Easter for the last 41 years. They weren't, you know, they're new believers. They're getting a lot of information from the Apostle Paul about what it means to even be a believer and all that stuff, you know. This is kind of new information. Then Paul says, this is the most important information. You have to understand, Paul said quite a few things to these Corinthians. And so now he's saying this is the most important. And what's especially interesting is that Corinthians themselves were, were all about information. They were all about knowledge. They were all about intellectualism. They really wanted to know what is the most important. And so when you say, this is the most important, it kind of piques their interest. Like, what, what are you talking about, Paul? And so Paul says, this is the most important information. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. He says, I passed on to you what is most important. Like, Paul says it. Not me, not Rich. Paul says, this is what's most important. And what has also been passed on to me. Paul says, I'm telling you some information that is the most important. You guys have all kinds of information. You know all kinds of stuff. In this room, there are people, there are brilliant people in this room. And you have access to a lot of information. Like you yourself, the, you know, what you've stored up in your books, and your libraries. You have access to all kinds of information. Plus, you also have a device in front of you that can search anything and come up with information. And Paul's saying this is information that's above all of that. This is the most important piece of information. It was passed on to me. I'm passing on to you. It was passed on to me. He goes on. And this is it. Christ died for our sins. Christ died for our sins. That's most important. Just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day. Just as the scripture said. And Paul says, this is the most important information. And what makes it important is not so much that Christ died for our sins, that he was raised from the dead. I mean, that's true. That's all true. It's an event that happened in history, and that's important in itself. Right? It's important that you know that our faith is founded on not just, a, you know, a tradition or some theory. It's founded on some facts, on some things that actually happened in human history. But what really makes it important is that it's the implications of it. Like it has implications for your life right now. This is not just history that you're learning, you're learning something about history that actually has something to do with you today. That's what makes it really, really important this is the importance of Easter, that it has implications for you and I right now. And then Paul kind of goes on about what, why is it important and all that. He says in first, verse 17, if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, then your faith is useless. Like if these things had not happened, then what you are, so you're sitting here right now, you're saying, I believe in God, whatever. But if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, it's completely useless. Like you got all dressed up this morning. I got my, my trusty velvet coat. Okay. Here's a little backstory on this velvet coat. I've had this coat since 1994, believe it or not. What's that? Is that 30 years almost? Oh, it's 29 years. Wow. That's, I've had this coat for 29 years. I bought it in 1994. I wore it a few times at church. And then they were like, dude, that coat's way too shiny. You can't wear that. And I put it in the closet for a lot of years. And about six years ago, I resurrected it. I just put it back on because I've been in and out of this coat for some time, uh, you know, in and out, in and out, because I can't button it sometimes and sometimes I could, you know, all that. <clears throat> and, so, um, and so I pull it out about six years ago and all these young people, like well, young, relatively young, you know, 35 and under young, um, come to me and say, wow, love your coat, nice coat. Everybody's kind of flattering me with that so now I wear it more often. But I only wear it on Easter Sunday, so, or Christmas, so you, yeah. Anyways, you, for those of you that are regular here, you know that I don't wear a coat all the time. I don't know why I'm talking about coats. But going through all this effort of getting dressed up, finding a place to park in the parking lot, you know, coming, you know, first service is leaving, second service is coming, there's like, we're fighting for parking spaces, we're trying to navigate the lobby, trying to get make sure there's enough donuts for me and my kids. You know, all that, all that stuff that we're doing, all the effort that we're going through, it's useless if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead. It's absolutely useless. It's of no value whatsoever. This is what Paul is saying. In fact, he says a few verses later that if Christ hadn't been raised from the dead, we should be pitied. People should feel sorry for us, for the life that we're living because we're believing some kind of lie. if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, then you're still guilty in your sins, he says. Whatever guilt, shame, and sinfulness that you sense in your life, it's still there if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead. You're still separated from God. You still owe a debt that you cannot repay. You still live under this condemnation of death that you can't seem to overcome if Christ had not been raised from the dead. But because Jesus has been raised, we can be set free from sin. Amen? You and I, that's why we're here because we're experiencing the freedom that comes through Jesus Christ and because he was raised from the dead. I remember when I was a teenager, I was, uh, well, I grew up in the country of Panama. Some of you know that. And, um, and I, uh, I there's a little little store. I say a store. It wasn't really a store. It was a house. I lived in a neighborhood called Nueva California in, in Panama City. And, um, and in our neighborhood, there was a lady around the corner from our house that had a, like an, a store at her house, right? It was her house, but she had kind of opened it up and she would sell things like laundry soap and detergent and, I mean, and, and, and bath soap and ice cold Cokes and cookies and those kind of things, you know? Just small little items, not a big store, small little, you know, four by four kind of, you know, shed thing that she had. That's where she sold these things out of. And so on a hot summer day, my friends and I, we love, we'd go play basketball. And then after basketball, we'd go to her house and we'd, you know, come, come up to her fence. And her name was Marta, Doña Marta. Hey, Doña Marta, can I have a Coke? And can I have a, a pack of cookies? You know, I would order some Coke and cookies, you know, and it would cost 25 cents. I always had a trusty quarter in my pocket, pull that quarter out and pay her with the 25 cents. And and I'd have, we, my friends and I would sit on the curb and we'd drink this Coke and cookies. That's what we would do on, on hot summer days. This is one day that I, I went there and I ordered my traditional Coke and cookie. And I'm sitting there and, and then I realized, I kind of reached into my pocket. I realized I did not have the quarter in my pocket. And I realized I had a, f- a hole in my pocket actually. <laughs> and the quarter must have fallen out somewhere. <clears throat> And so I started going, I was already drinking the Coke. I was already eating the cookies. And so I started going through this thing in my head. Like, I, I don't know how to pay her. I don't have money to pay her. Now I know you're thinking, well, it's just a quarter rich. just go home and get another quarter. You live around the corner. But man, this is a long time ago. Quarters were hard to come by for a 14 year old kid. Right. I mean, they just was, didn't have money. Literally did not have money. And so uh, I'm, I'm just going through this. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And, uh, and then Doña Marta, who was kind of older now and kind of forgetful about a lot of things, she came up and said, hey, Ricky, did you pay me for the Coke and the cookies? And then, like, I was in my head ready to tell her, you know, hey, I'm sorry. I forgot. I lost my quarter, whatever. But like w- without skipping a beat, I said, oh, yeah, remember? You were, you were coming and the dog was over there and I had my back to the fence and I you. And I gave you the quarter. You don't remember? And she's like, uh... No, no, I'm sorry, I, you know, I'm losing, I'm forgetting a lot of things these days, you know, she kind of walked off. Yeah, I know, I'm a jerk, <laughs> I get it. Um, <clears throat> I felt horrible. I know you're thinking, oh, it's just a quarter, it's not a big deal, but I just would lie in bed at night thinking I've got to, I'm trying to muster up the courage to go tell Doña Marta that, that I actually lied to her and that I did not pay her and that here's a quarter that I need to pay her back. And I would agonize over this, but then the shame of it just began to overwhelm me, you know. And you know what? That was the last day I went to Doña Marta's house. My friends would say, hey, Rick, let's go get some coke. No, so, nah, I got other things to do. I wouldn't go. I mean, I was, avo- like, she lived around, like, if you, from our house, you would go up this hill to get to a bus stop that was at the top of the hill. you have to go up this hill, make a left, right in front of her house and go up. I would not go that way to catch the bus. I would literally walk through this path in the jungle on this side of the houses to get to the bus stop because I just did not want to pass by our house. Shame made me hide. Shame. We see this in Genesis as well. Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, you know, they sin. Sin enters the world. And what's the first response is that they're ashamed and they hide from God. I'm not sure what day that was that that I lied to Dona Marta, but I suspect it was probably a Friday. Fridays during Passion Week is a, a day associated with Good Friday, right? And we talk about Good Friday. It's Good Friday, but you know, for the disciples then, it wasn't that good of a day. It was a day that reminded them of their sin. Of their shamefulness, of their guilt. I think about the disciples on that particular day, Good Friday. I think about Peter. You know, Peter is one of those that says, Hey, Jesus, I don't care what they try to do to you, I'm with you. I will die before they get to you. And he makes all these promises that he'll never deny Jesus, but yet he denies Jesus three different times. He abandons Jesus when he needed him the most. Friday was a day of shame. And I think when I think about Doña Marta, the 25 cents, the shame that I was feeling, I think that's probably why some people, some of you don't really want to be in church on a Sunday morning. Because you don't want to be reminded of it. You don't want to be reminded of the guilt. You don't want to be reminded of the sin. You don't want to be reminded of the mistakes that you've made along the way. You just don't want to be reminded. So it's better just to hide It's better to find another place, do something else, occupy your mind with something else. And believe me, there's enough information flowing out there that you can occupy your mind with all kinds of things just to hide from the shame. I'm convinced that most of this comes from shame. Now, you might not see it that way, you may not call it that, but shame has a way of coming out sideways. Sometimes shame comes out as anger. Like you're angry at yourself because of the things that you've done, the sins that you've committed. And angry at yourself, some, I don't know what it is, but angry yourself oftentimes turns into angry about everything and with everybody. As you're walking around and you're just an angry person, and so often when I meet an angry person, I know that deep behind there, there's something, some guilt, some shame that they're feeling. Sometimes shame comes out as anxiety. Not just anxious that your sin is going to be exposed, but you just feel anxious that you're really not living the life that you thought you would live. Like you had ideas of what your life would be like and then along the way you've made one mistake and then another and then maybe married this person that marriage ended or this happened or that happened and you just feel very lost and you're going in a direction you don't really wanna go in. Some of you understand what I'm talking about. You're going in a direction you don't really wanna go in and you're anxious about that because you know that's not the direction you want to be going in. Shame kind of has a way of making you feel very anxious. Shame sometimes comes out sideways as depression because shame always will isolate us. It will disconnect you from God. It will disconnect you from people. Sometimes it even disconnects you from yourself. So Paul's telling us in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead you would have to live with that shame for the rest of your life. That debt, that guilt, that punishment. And so for some of you, that's where you are right now. Can I give you some good news? Today is Sunday. That was Friday. Friday is a day of guilt and shame, but Sunday is a day of resurrection Sunday's a day of new beginnings. Sunday's a day of hope. Sunday's a day in which all the guilt and all the shame of your past can be erased because of what Jesus did on the cross and because he was raised back to life again. Sunday's a day of new life. I love the story in, in, in Mark. I, this week I decided to spend some time just reading through the passion stories and the different gospels, and, and I just got struck. I, I read through Matthew, then I read through Mark. And I got struck in Mark, but then I kept reading. I went through Luke and then, and then John. And then I went right back to Mark again. Because there was something that just, just popped out at me in Mark. I'm just going to read this passage to you. <clears throat> Mark 16, verse 2, it says, Very early on Sunday morning, just, the sunrise, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. These talk about the women that were going to anoint the body of Jesus. On the way, they, on the way they were asking each other, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked, up, they looked up and saw the stone, which was very large and already had been rolled away, rolled aside. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in white robe, in a white robe sitting on the right side. He was an angel. The women were shocked, but the angel said, don't, don't, be, don't be afraid. Don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. Uh, you know, they add this piece of information here, let's, don't be alarmed who was crucified because it's just important to know that he actually was dead. Like it wasn't like this, you know, he was, there's some theories out there that he was crucified but he really didn't die and then he kind of recovered from his wounds and he came back to life again and that's really, that's what happened. But no, that's not, the angel's making it very clear. He was crucified, he was dead. He was dead. Who was crucified, <clears throat> I do find my place. He isn't there. He's risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now, this is the, the piece that just jumped out at me when I was reading it this week. Now, go and tell his disciples, including Peter. Remember Peter? The one who said, I'll never deny you. <laughs> the one who said, I'll, I'll be with you to the very end, Jesus. <laughs> uh, you're not, you, I'm with you. I'll die for you. And now he's walking around with all this guilt and all this shame because he's standing there and he saw Jesus crucified and he realized that he wasn't there for Jesus and he realized that the very thing he said he would not do, he did. And some of you identify with that. Some of you understand what I'm talking about. How many times have we said, I'll never do that again. And then we go right back to it and we do it again. And we sin over and over and over again, and then we wonder, is there any hope? And let me tell you something. Because of what Jesus has done, there is hope. The angel says, go and tell the disciples, including or especially Peter. Like, Peter needs to hear this good news. He doesn't have to walk around in guilt and shame anymore. He doesn't have to feel the burden of sin anymore because I am alive. And there is hope. There is hope. And some of you understand that. That's what Easter is for you today. Like you're hearing this and it's, hey, go tell everybody about Easter, but especially Christopher. Go tell everybody about Easter, but especially Sarah. Go tell everybody about Easter, but especially, especially you. You need to know that there are, there is implications for, for the resurrection of Jesus Christ in your life right now. Jesus is alive. So that's Friday. Friday's this day of guilt and shame. Saturday comes along. You know what happens with the disciples? Saturday's often called the uh, Saturday of silence or silent Saturday. And uh, what's happening is that the disciples have have scattered and they're hiding out. They're afraid. They're saying to themselves, they did this to Jesus. We're his disciples. They're going to do it to us next. And so they're living in this fear. And I think the Apostle Paul is just trying to make it very clear. Listen, you don't have to live in fear anymore. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross and because he was raised back to life again, fear is gone. Fear is eliminated. We don't have to fear. fear. We don't have to be afraid anymore. In fact, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that for those who are in Christ Jesus you know, the, the fear of death is also gone. Like if you're afraid to die, like maybe you're walking, your last several years have ca- caused you to be a little bit paranoid about a pandemic and you're wondering, I hope another pandemic doesn't happen because I don't want to die. Or maybe, you know, the economy has kind of turned things upside down for you and you're just terrified about the economy and you're just going around trying to figure out how do I, I for all of this? How do I get ready for this? Because I, I'm afraid of this really hurting and impacting me. And so there's a lot of fear going on. And Paul is telling us, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid of death. You don't have to be afraid of the, of the stain of sin because you have been set free through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It tells us in verse 22, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. Like if you give your life to Jesus, you have new life. And all who belong to Jesus will be raised when he comes back. So when you die, because you will earthly die, like our bodies will eventually decay, we will be buried But even when we're dead, when Jesus comes back, we will be resurrected again. Verse 54, because of the resurrection, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, oh, death is your victory. Where, oh, death is your sting. We don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear the shame of guilt anymore. Saturday was a day of fear and hopelessness. But Sunday, then came Sunday. And that's what we're celebrating today. That's what, we're, that's what we're shouting about. That's why you got all dressed up today, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A few years back, I was um, baptizing somebody in, in North Liberty. We used to have a baptismal that you would stand on the outside of the baptismal, and they would step into the baptismal. It was a small kind of thing. And <clears throat> there's a man that was being, I don't really, I was thinking about him, but I can't remember his name. Uh, he was getting baptized. had a kind of rough story. Had been married, had kids, and divorced, and then married again. That didn't last very long. He ended up divorced again. Uh, in the middle of all of that, primary to some of these divorces that he was having was a lot of drug addiction and other things like that were, were tormenting him. And, and so he had made a decision to follow Jesus, he made a decision to just basically give his life over to Jesus. So I'm baptizing him. And I asked the question, which I often ask I said, So why are you getting baptized today? I remember his response. His response was very short, very simple. It was like, tired. I'm tired of running. I'm just tired of running. And in that moment, I just, I realized, you know, because he, he, he has spent so much of his life just trying to survive, trying to live down the, 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 you know, the shame and the guilt. He was just trying so hard. It just wasn't working. He thought maybe the second marriage would, would alleviate something, but it didn't. He thought drugs would alleviate that, but it didn't. He thought alcohol would alleviate that, but it didn't. He was just tired, he said, tired of running. In that moment, just this Holy Spirit moment for me, I just I said, Listen, I know you've been running for a long time. But can I tell you that Jesus has not stopped running after you? As far as the way that you went away from God, As you think you went away from God, he was just right around the corner. He was there. He has not stopped chasing you. And I would say the same thing to you. It's not an accident that you're here this morning. It's not an accident that you're here this morning. It's the most important information because it has incredible implications in your life that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. I hope you're hearing that. You don't have to leave this morning with a stain of sin on your life. You don't have to leave this morning with the fear of death in your life. There is hope available to you. A couple weeks ago, I received a letter uh, from a young man in our church, Tito, known Tito for a long time, about five years ago. And I I asked this week for permission to share this and he said it was okay. well, five years ago, I got a phone call from him saying, hey, pastor, I need help. I need help. And so uh, Tito's probably watching right now. He's in Cedar Rapids. Um, so we, we made a date to, to meet at the Chinese restaurant right around the corner here in the Ivy next to Ivy. I sat down, and when Tito walked in, I just, I barely even recognized him. He had lost so much weight. He, he did not look well. Uh, it was a very low part of his life. And I could tell he was desperate. And to be honest with you, I felt, I felt like I didn't really have a whole lot to say. I, I mean, I have a lot to say, but I don't know. I didn't have a lot of power in actually changing him or helping him. Like, I didn't, didn't know except to simply talk about the hope that there is in Jesus Christ. And so we talked a little bit. I could tell from him that he was like, he was grasping, he was looking for something, he was hoping for something. But at the same time, he was feeling like, I've gone so far away from God, I just don't know if there's any hope. And so I felt inclined to just talk about the possibility of Jesus and what Jesus can actually do in his life. If he'll surrender his life to Jesus, he's made that commitment that day. I got a letter a couple weeks ago from him, um, March 17th of this month, of this year, uh, the day of his birthday. He writes, Dear Pastor Rich, I wanted to write to you to let you know How grateful I am for you, for the impact you've made in my life through your teachings. You've helped me come to faith in knowing about the Heavenly Father who longs for me. Highlight, longs. Who longs for me. Who longs for my my devotion to know him and the love that he has for me. Through your teachings and sermons about the way to him, it's it's made it possible to flip my world upside down. You helped me, you helped bring truth to my life and delivered a personal message to me. And we was talking about our conversation that day. And what I'm talking about to you today is the implications of the resurrection for all of us. It's personal, it's personal. That the creator of the universe wants to have a personal relationship with me through, through his son, Jesus Christ. As I celebrate my 36th birthday tomorrow I'm reminded of my eternal birthday at the end of March that was set in motion five years ago to be born again to the Christian faith. Though it hasn't been easy, yet I cannot be more thankful than I am now being found five years ago. That's how he characterizes giving his life to Jesus. I was found five years ago. I was lifeless. And I'm a witness to that, by the way. I saw it. He was lifeless. But God revived my heart and restored my whole being since. It has been five years since I've given my life to Christ. I am writing this to thank you. To this day, this is what I have to say to the freedom that I am discovering in Christ. I no longer belong to this world, he says. Like I used to, but I no longer belong to this world. I am alive because of him, and my freedom is written in his nail-scarred hands. My past is far from me. I'm set apart for him and his gospel. My life is not conformed conformed by the patterns of this world. My life has been transformed, my very being, and renewing my thoughts. Through through his word, renewing my thoughts. But I do not think of myself highly. With a sober mind, I filter every situation and circumstance by faith through the word of God. He goes on. He talks a little bit about how he hopes that many more like him will come to know Jesus Christ. This week, I was texting with him asking for permission to share this letter. And his simple response I said, Hey, Tito, do you mind if I share parts of your letter uh, to church on Sunday? And his response was, Absolutely, my life is a miracle. And I know what he's thinking, I know exactly what he's thinking. He's thinking when he thinks back five years, he realizes I was lifeless and hopeless. There's no way, there's no chance. I'm gonna say this this way, pardon from the way I say it. There was no chance in hell that I would have a life, the life that I'm having right now. But Jesus came and has set me free. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I now have a new life he's telling us. And I believe that that same miracle God wants to do in some of your lives here this morning. I'm gonna ask us to stand. We're gonna take a moment to pray. And here's what I want you to do. We're gonna pray a collective prayer. So what I'm I'm gonna pray and you're gonna repeat after me, all of us are. Okay, we're not gonna embarrass anybody. I know that, I know it's, uh, it's, it's it, you know, the, the way to do it is basically ask a person to raise their hand and say, hey, I'm giving my life to Jesus today. And that person prays. Um, and we we might have people here that might try to count those hands, but I'm not really interested in numbers of hands raised. That's not what I'm interested in. What I'm interested in is in you. Tell them that Jesus is alive, but especially Peter, especially you. I'm interested in you experiencing Jesus Christ and getting on a journey of getting to know him better and more and more and and so if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, if you're watching from Cedar Rapids or you're watching from Wilton and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I'm asking you to do something. I'm asking you to take a bold step of faith and that is pull this card out, this connection card. It says, welcome home. On the back, it, you know, you could put your details like your name, email address, a way to get, get in touch with you. At the very bottom, there's a little check box where you could put, today I decided for the first time to follow Jesus. We wanna collect these cards and we want our team here to start following up with you on that. Like I said, we're not interested in hands raised. I could ask you to raise your hands. There'd be, you know, there'd be 30, 40 people raise their hands here this morning, that's great. We can say 40 people gave their life to Jesus in second service. That's not that important. That, it's important, but that's not what matters. What matters is that you are serious about your decision to follow Jesus Christ. And you start walking on a journey of discipleship with him. And that's where we come in. That's what we want to do. We want to walk with you on that. And so this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. If it's the first time ever, or maybe you as a kid, you remember being very faithful in church, but then you kind of walked away. Or maybe right now you would say that you've been living a life that is kind of like a a double life. Like I pretend to be a Christian, but man, my life is far from being a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm not really living for him. And I want to ask you this morning to make that decision to follow him. Amen.